And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 277 of Panelology. I'm Alex. You just said the wrong episode number after you changed it. Welcome to episode 278 of Panelology. That was a test. I'm Alex. <laughs> and I'm Brian. <laughs> Leaving that in because that's going to set the tone for this week. <laughs> that's 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 how this week has gone. You're absolutely right. Sir. Yep. Uh, I am back in rehearsal. Everything has gone according to plan. It's just I have gone into rehearsal with like a less optimized plan than normal, and that is uncomfortable for me. <laughs> That's the best way to explain it. Everything is going to plan. I don't like the plan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could be honest. Like, don't get me wrong. I love the work I'm doing. I'm excited to be back. We are taking great safety measures. I have yes. missed working with the students that I normally work with, and I'm excited to work with uh, this this pro theater that I have never gotten to work with before that is partnering with the university. I could not be happier or more tired. Yeah. That is where I'm living right now. I am happy and tired. There you go. That's okay, though. That's all yeah. Right. How are you doing, Brian? Uh, I am. I made it through this week, which was a uh, which was a very very good thing for me. I was <laughs> uh, dodged a big bullet. We'll say we'll just leave it that way. Very good. Yes. Well, do we want to jump right into it? The answer is yes, because it's late on a Sunday. <laughs> This episode's posting late. You know this already if you're listening to it, probably. But you know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to go to bed when we're done recording, and I want that to be as soon as possible. So, warp speed ahead, Mr. Brian. Let's go. Nightwing, number 83. Spoiler chat. That's right, we're back. Uh, because Brian didn't read it last time. Written by Tom Taylor. That is not me throwing shade, by the way, because there's a whole lot I didn't read this week yet. <laughs> With art by Bruno Redondo, colors by Adriano Lucas, and letters by Wes Abbott. Brian, where would you like to start in this um, By issue? saying that Nightwing is now the best hero in the DC Universe. <laughs> <laughs> you did a callback, and I appreciate it. Exactly. Oh, my God. Like, you know what? What's I think what's so perfect about this is they really set this up with uh, with Alfred and his letter that said, of all of them, you are the one that I trust to figure out the right thing to do with this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you can't trust Alfred to be a good judge of character, right? Right. Yeah. So way to go, man. <laughs> so what is... What is Dick's big plan? Um, essentially, he's going to take all of the money and and kind of fix all the shit that's broken in Bloodhaven. <laughs> yeah, like very much sort of a community assistance fund, a community support fund. Yeah. Putting resources into 
uh, combating homelessness by providing shelter and homes and places for people to go into accessible health care, into mm-hmm. mental health services, into job training. I mean, like just anything yeah. you can think of that actually like not just alleviates problem, not just takes care of symptoms, but actually starts to solve the problems. Non-police based and non-carceral responses to like disturbances like public disturbances Mm -hmm. everything that sort of has been talked about in the real world in the last year and all of the sort of classic well why doesn't batman just spend his money answers like okay dick's gonna do it yeah I, i i that and this is all in the midst of like you know him still dealing with the fact that he's got a sister now Mm -hmm. and how much should he trust her right Um, i really like there's one panel by the way in this issue that i really loved to like as a storytelling moment to signal to the reader that maybe we can trust her at face value and that's while dick is giving his speech her and her mom and her mom just turns to her and says, oh, I like him. Yeah. And like, I really like that moment of them alone being honest and earnest with each other in this way that sort of reinforces that she's not, she is not a Zuko. She may be Melinda Zuko, but she's not a Zuko. Right. Exactly. Um, not even Danny. Danny Zuko. Good God. <laughs> Can I say how much, once again, that the family bat chat is, uh, like, I, I just want to lurk all the time <laughs> in family bat chat. I feel like Cassandra is just waiting whenever they release new emojis. <laughs> to figure out how to use them. Like there's, you know there's, yeah. like, a period of a couple of weeks where it's like, what can I do with this werewolf emoji? Right. I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Yes. You are absolutely right. Uh, but no, I, I, I do. I, I love the support that he got from all of them. And, and like the call from Bruce, because there's a, there's a part like it's, it's the, there, it shows the chat, right? Mm-hmm. And then his phone actually rings. And when Dick picks up, he, he actually says, hey, you don't usually call. And he's like, I know, I'm sorry, but I felt like I needed to. And like Bruce like tells him how proud he is and how much. He feels like he honored Alfred by doing this. And I'm well, like, damn. And that moment is set up so well in Dick's conversation with Clark. Yeah. That like, would we see the pain where it's like Batman calling? Like I teared up a little bit just at that. I didn't even have to see the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like that is how well it was set up for me. Uh, remember how we said they were going to have to spend a little bit of time to earn the, the Dick Barbara thing. Yeah, uh, they they spent a little bit of time earning it, and somehow got there already. Yeah, well, I, like I I think it's still not full blown yet, but I think it's like like that's just it. It's it's enough without being everything yet, right? It like it's 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 progression forward without you know saying oh yep yeah, no no now it's the whole thing they're just together now. Well, and here's here's what I think though, like in that in in that exact way. If you walked into this issue without knowing their history, mm-hmm. it would feel like a first kiss. It would feel like the beginning of a romance. Yeah, it, you're exactly right. And I think coming at it with that energy and let it being this thing that has room to 
not be set and settled and comfortable like, say, Oliver and Dinah. Right. But to be nascent, to be developing, to be something that could go anywhere and still could go wrong, but like that now you're invested enough in that you want want it to go well. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really smart approach. But yeah, and then you were right. That conversation with Superman was just outstanding. <sighs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the bit where he asks him to keep an eye on John. Yeah. And what's the line? Something to the effect of I couldn't think of a better role model for him. Yes. To have Superman... Superman say those words? <laughs> like, and like, like uh, the, you, you know what the problem now is? Dick's head is just so big now that he can't actually fight crime anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, no, but like, yo, you're absolutely right. Come on. I mean, that's the thing. Though. Like, I feel like that's just going to push him harder, especially since it's in, like, that's part of Superman's response to Dick's plan. He tells Superman before he tells Bruce. Yeah. Um, and like, that's, that's the context of it. It's like, you're on the right path. You're doing a great thing. I am glad my son has you to look up to. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, that also made me tear up. Look, this, this issue made me tear up, uh, about three different times at least. Yeah. Well, there's, there, during that conversation, there's a point when, when Dick tells him, he says, yeah, like, but I think maybe I'm worried it's too small. Right. Cause it's just kind of for Bloodhaven. Right. Yeah. And he's like, no, it's not small. It's focused. And then he goes on to essentially say, besides, if you're successful doing that here, you're a role model for the rest of the country or the rest of the world to show that this can work and fix problems. Yeah. Yeah. I Yeah, anyway. Which I, is a great, like, Superman answer, but also so true. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, everything about the, like, this hit all the cylinders, man. This ticked all the boxes. This I also... Good. I just have to point at like one little comedic beat, which is in the montage of Dick telling everyone his plans, which we we see their reactions to, but we don't hear until until his press conference at the end. When he gets to the Titans, the response is Beast Boy saying, "Oh, I have ideas." <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. He, he. Yeah. Because like he goes and talks to like who was it Leslie Tompkins, right, and Lucius mm-hmm. Fox. And like people, he says that like he knows and trusts and no want to do good and all this stuff. And one of them is the Titans and yeah, Beast Boy. <laughs> oh, I've got lots of ideas, <laughs> so many ideas, uh, just absolutely fantastic. Yep. Yeah. All right. All Let's right. Keep going. New books from yeah, this past week: Icon and Rocket Number Two, written by Reginald Hudland with art by with art by Doug Braithwaite. Inks by Andrew Curry and colors by Brad Anderson with letters by Andworld Design. Tell so me about we, number two. We talked about the first issue of this, and I think we both dug it, and I think Case also dug it, but had some concerns about it feeling very similar to the original number one, but maybe not doing as much. And I think, Case, I know you're listening, check out this number two if you haven't yet. Uh, this does feel contemporary, and I think I think because of the way it seems to be maybe lining up with the the Big Bang from Static Shock being around issue number three, mm-hmm. uh, if I had to guess, I think that we got the histories on one, and we're getting more of what's going on now and the new context into. 
we see this issue framed like largely around everyone's response to Icon and Rocket. Uh, this jumps at least a couple of weeks, maybe a few weeks after number one. Uh, they've been dealing with crime in their neighborhood and cleaning up, and police are, are taking credit for it and denouncing them as vigilantes and uh, other locals, just regular folks, are anytime they get questions like, oh, I don't know anything about this. I know nothing. No, who, who, I don't think they're even from here. What makes you say, like, they're all protecting them? And they're inspired to, like, stand up to other wrongdoing by them. It's a really cool issue to sort of see the, the just the individual human response, right? The, the sort of, what would, in a very real sense, having a couple of actual superheroes show up and start fighting for your neighborhood do to the people in it who are clamoring for anyone to fight for them? Very cool. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really smart context. And I dig the storytelling. I uh, We get a little more history here, sort of secret history here. I have no clue how it ties into that original run that Case mentioned last time, because I've never read it. But uh, we sort of are introduced to a big bad for Icon, uh, someone who has dealt with him before in the past and has a history with him and is similarly long-lived. So, like, I don't know exactly where this goes next, but like I said, I think we're getting close to the Big Bang, uh, which will, I'm sure, have an Im- impact on this story and it's what it's doing. Um, but yeah, I just, I thought it was really fun. It looked great. Uh, if you were, like, hesitant at all after one, I think two is absolutely as strong as anything else in the current Milestone lineup. Oh, nice. Yeah, moving on to Superman, Son of Kal-El, number two. Written by Tom Taylor, art by John Timms, colors by Gabe Eltave, and letters by Dave Sharp. Long live Finn Connors! <laughs> uh, nope, not, not very long. No. <laughs> you know what, though? I, I loved I, I loved this idea that he was trying to do this kind of like, you know, like the old way of doing things with a secret identity mm-hmm. and how much that just would never work today kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Um, like he makes kind of what it felt like. Yeah. He makes it like eight minutes maybe before he has to blow his cover to stop a school shooter. Well, but I think it's a super clever setup for what is the next part of this story. Yeah. I mean, we know we know that a lot of what John is going to be going through from future state, but also from this issue, is just finding his place in the world. Right. And the next step of this is basically a big long conversation that he has with his dad, which is, you know, asking him basically him asking his dad, why why haven't you done more? Why you haven't you taken a more direct influence on on things, right? And his dad's answer is, which I don't think you often think about, right, is mm-hmm. because as much as this world is my home, it's not my world. See, to me, that does feel very Superman and is something that I feel like I've heard versions of before. Yeah, but just like the, the, the flat out way that he speaks it here, yeah. like just the simple, clean version of that, right, is... So I feel like I can be an example to them, right? But I can't I I can't go in and make changes directly myself because 
I, it's almost like I will be viewed as an outsider interfering if I do that. Yeah. Right. And, and, and then he looks at John and says, but it is your world. You, you know, you were born here. This is yours. And it's very much a, like, um, you know, first generation, you know, uh, uh, immigration family mm-hmm. type thing. Right. And um, it, I can't remember what I was watching, but I was watching something this week or last week that that talked about this very, very message. And it was like, you know, a real world example. And they were talking about how um, the the parents and the children, their their viewpoints can be so much so strongly different in a first generation family. Mm-hmm. Because, like, their whole world experiences are different to that point. And the fact that, you know, the answer lies in, obviously, like most things, in communication. But realizing that it's not just that the parents have things to teach their kids about their traditions and where they're from and all that. But that equally, the parents have a ton to learn from the kids about this new place that they're in and what those new experiences, you know, wherever you are, are, you know, anyway, it made it, it drew me back. This conversation drew me back to that. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, and I think it leads John to start making some of those insights and decisions about who he's going to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any of us ever figure that out a hundred percent. Right. Right. But uh, but I think it, I think it starts him down the ability to to like I said start making some of those decisions. Yeah, and I feel like that's very much going to be what what this book is about. I think so, which is very cool to me. Yeah, yeah. and maybe he's got a little help in some of that. Now I will say this too that my my sleep addled brain, mm-hmm. while looking at that beautiful shot of the two of them facing Earth, sitting on the moon, their backs you know to the panel, thought. You know, if that panel pulled out just a little further, you'd see Wolverine and Scott being like, what are these guys doing on our yard? <laughs> Get off of my lawn! <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, you know. Yeah. And, 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 and Superman turning to John and going, oh, that's the Summers family. Um, you know what? Just, <laughs> just don't hang around them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like that's how you end up with like a Romeo and Juliet set up between <laughs> the House of L and the House of Summers. <laughs> what is it, Rachel and John? Is that who we end up with? How <laughs> was it, Hope? Oh, it could be Hope. The yeah. S stands for Hope, which would make her name Hope Hope. <laughs> oh my god, yes! Yes! Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that is absolutely beautiful, sir. Thank you. Uh, there we the, go. There's, the our other, cro- there's our crossover right there. The other piece of this I want to talk about that I think is really interesting and a little terrifying mm-hmm. in, in current day. Yes. Is John is getting a lot of news from what feels like sort of a fringe news outlet whose message at least is, hey, we're talking about these real-world problems that no one else will. Which, at face value, at surface value, sure, sounds great, sounds valuable. 
Well, and he calls himself the truth, which, you know, obviously with his dad's revelation and, you know, the the idea that that was called, you know, the tr- him revealing the truth, I'm sure strikes a chord. Sure. But also, like, he wears a mask mm-hmm. on camera. It's this very, like, dystopian sort of dead-on shot of him in this hood and this mask. And it's a very sort of radical way of talking about the news, right? It is... Yeah. The world is afraid to do this. They won't speak truth to power. They are afraid of this country that is uh uh that these that a group of immigrants or refugees rather are trying to escape from and no one will help them because everyone wants to appease this country Gamora. Mm-hmm. And eventually like this leads John to go rescue this boat full of people. Which, like, morally, absolutely the right thing to do. And as we saw him do in the first issue, he kind of stands down the police and, like, won't let them cuff any of the refugees, insists that they get help and not just incarceration, says he will follow up with them. And then we see John meet the the sort of face of the truth in person. Mm -hmm. And we learn one that it's someone who saw him try to be Finn Connors for the six minutes. He was Finn Connors, uh, gives him back his wig, but two, he, he introduces himself. He says, you lost your secret identity for me. I figure you deserve to know mine. I'm Jay Nakamura. Do you want your fake hair back? And like, I truly don't know. Is Jay Nakamura on the, you know, is he on the level? Is he, nefarious is he being manipulative does he have some other angle and i don't think we have the information here to know that i don't think we do either i I think and i think it's very i think it is very definitely presented as it could be that though yeah yeah uh we also learn the sort of big last page reveal is who is the leader of this this technological island nation gamora henry bendix Henry Bendix of Wildstorm, mm-hmm. which I think is a really interesting choice of someone to put John up against. Yeah, I, I, I gotta say, I do love how they're, how they are very definitely blending in all the Wildstorm stuff. Yeah, yeah, like it's something they've tried to do for a decade now. Yeah, and I it think finally, it, I think they're doing it far better now than they have previously. In their say, it finally feels like it's working. Yeah, well, I think they're. I, think they're not just trying to like go oh boom here it is and they're all the like they're doing things like this right they're just introducing yeah. like a character as part of this story not yeah anyway i don't know yeah and speaking of jay nakamura <laughs> let us segue now to checkmate number three of six written by brian michael bendis with art by alex Maliev, colors by dave stewart and letters by josh reed now brian mm-hmm uh, this may be just a complete and utter coincidence, but I'm going to give you this piece of dialogue from this book. You're excited because you just met Superman, Agent Nakamura. Oh, yeah. I think Jay Nakamura may be related to a high-ranking agent in Checkmate. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm the weirdo who thinks King is Commandy, though, so, like, what do I know? Yeah, I could easily see the one that's talking to John being like, you know, her son. Uh huh. Right? 
Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. Admittedly, that was about half the reason I wanted to talk about this book was just so that I could point that out and get Brian's reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and, and yeah. Um. Now let's say this. I'm really loving it. I I I am too. I am too. I think we're we're a little we're right at the halfway mark uh, of this series. I think we're finally starting to see what's going on take some shape, both in terms of I finally feel like I have a grasp of the timeline of this book. I uh, agreed. The other thing is I think we get an important piece when Lois realizes what Shaw's next target is, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, there is an information network that connects the Fortress of Solitude, the Batcave, and the Hall of Justice that, like, not even Oliver Queen knows about, so it's not even all the Justice League is aware of it. Yeah. And that is his target. It's the one, like, computer network in the world that he doesn't have some hook in. Correct. And he wants it. The other important piece of information we learn is that he does, in fact, have a a mole in the Justice League. Or not the Justice League. A mole in Checkmate. In Checkmate, yeah. He may have a mole in the Justice League. Robin is certainly concerned about that. I love that Damien just starts calling the shots in this. I do, too. Like, he just shows up and just takes control, man. <laughs> He's so good. I also love the weird, like, or the, the line about how, like, you guys have a really weird mother-son dynamic. <laughs> Do we? <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah. And uh, Alex Maleev and Dave Stewart, always, always, always good. And that, and I, I really feel like Lois's brother is going to be some key thing that's... I think we actually saw him in this issue. We did. We did. We see him once again looking through a sniper scope. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, Yeah. Well, I, I think we're going to find out who the king is really soon. Maybe next issue. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I hope I'm right. I hope you are, too. Hey, Brian. Yeah. How is Superman 78 number one? Um, So this is the book that is based on the uh, the 1978 Superman movie. Um, Just like, uh, what was it, Batman in 89, I think? Right? Yes. Yeah. Um. And you know what? It, it's 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 kind of cool. This one actually, I was super happy that they didn't focus back on Lex Luthor in this. Um, the the villain that where he's going to be facing is Brainiac. Oh, nice. Yeah, and that was a very very nice um nice change. And I think that was the that was the change that this needed because I think it might have felt as like just nostalgia. If they had gone back to Lex Luthor. Yeah, I mean, fact, yeah, world building feels to me like the key to turning yeah. a movie into an ongoing, right? Like, let's see and, everything that would happen after. And they did the same thing with the, the Batman 89, which is, you know, they really focused in on um, uh, uh, Harvey Dent, right? Yeah, Billy D. Williams. Billy Harvey D. Williams Dent, as yeah. Harvey Dent. Yeah, and like, that's really where that story, it's very similar here where, it's very much going to be towards, uh, you know, this Brainiac thing. Uh, and I, I think that's exactly what this needed. It was uh, it was enjoyable. I, I liked it. It's just enough nostalgia without being that's all it is. Cool. Yeah. And that was written by Robert Venditti with art by Wilfredo Torres, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by Dave Lanfear. Yeah. 
Okay, Brian, this is literally going to be the next thing I read. I am so bummed that I did not get to it. I am bummed you did not get to it either. To put this in context, until 6 a.m. this morning, I had read one book and like two pages of Cable Reloaded or whatever it's called. Um, I woke up at 6 a.m. this morning to read everything else that I actually got done for today. Sadly, this did not, this did not make the cut. I decided I needed, like, another 20 minutes of sleep before I left for the theater. Superman vs. Lobo, number one. So... Written by Tim Seeley and Sarah Beattie, with art by Mirka Andolfo, colors by Arif Prianto, and letters by Fabio Emilia. This is... Hmm, I'm trying to think of... This is, like, old school... Lobo mixed with a little bit of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy mixed with, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sold. I don't even know what else is, need to know what else is in the recipe. So like Lobo is on this, on this resort planet on vacation. And like due to a misunderstanding of proportional relationships of sizes, um, this creature who is like incredibly powerful shows up as a giant tardigrade. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, so Lobo's fighting it. Um, Superman happens to be out rescuing, like uh, I think a Mars mission or some other, like, you know, something out in space and gets like the alert that this planet is being attacked. Right. So he goes, and that's how they end up, right? That's how Lobo and Superman end up. And, of course, Superman is like, no, you can't kill this thing. <laughs> uh, and gets in Lobo's way. So, you know, hijinks ensue there. Now, the the the, the wild card in this ointment is this character who shows up, who is somewhere across between a... Uh, like social media influencer, um, and Uatu, and um, <laughs> she is a God. God I, I want. I really want to see if I can find where she tells what her name is. But it's like a interdimensional sociology observer, something, something. I don't know what it was. I <laughs> am. I am imagining if Uatu had a TikTok account. Yeah, I mean that's kind of she doesn't have a boom tube, she has a poof tube. <laughs> Technology is which she... lets which lets her just slightly teleport like to another location so Lobo can't, you know, like hit her hit her or anything. Yes. Is she fifth dimensional? You know what? Maybe. It would not surprise me. So I mean she's not chibi, like, you know, like yeah. Mitsit Spitlick or, or Batmite or somebody. But, but it, yeah, not yeah. everyone from the fifth dimension is, right? Because Mixie's Correct. Mixie's romantic interest is is not. Yeah, so she's like talking about, you know, she's saying things like subject display characteristics of their militant society, even outside of social norms, implicit in the new setting. So she's doing all this like psychological ob sociology observation of what's going on, but won't interfere <laughs> in any way. <laughs> I love that. Turns out when she sees Lobo fighting this thing, she gets really excited because her her. Uh, like you know, uh, graduate thesis was on last soul soul survivors of alien races, right? Yeah. So of course, then when Superman also shows up, she like loses her mind. Yes. <laughs> but it's 
like there's no doubt in my mind that character is the Sarah Beatty character that got that her influence in this. Incredible. And I love it. So um one of the things that's that's trending back on Earth are these people who um and, and it turns yeah. Are these people who are like now anti Superman? It's hashtag no thanks Superman. Who um this woman says that a Superman didn't even ask her about her fear of heights when he flew her away from a fire. <laughs> right? <sighs> Too real. <laughs> yes, it was. It was so it was like all of these things, yeah. Um <laughs> what is this the one? Um and wait and wait, what the hell is an anti saver? <laughs> <laughs> it's it is so absolute turns out lobo's kind of feeding this frenzy as a way to get back at superman of course he is <laughs> so it is just the wildest most wonderful you know, thing as you describe this and i don't know if this is accurate or not obviously <laughs> i have not read it yet yep but i get real like bugs and daffy vibes you know what i mean not because it's not that it's not that cartoony, right? But but kind of also yes. Yeah. Um yeah, it's just uh oh boy. <laughs> the other the other one which is maybe my best comment ever is Lois is talking and Batman shows up and uh like they she, <sighs> Lois strikes back at him with some things she's like with with some footage that she has of Lobo mm-hmm. and she turns she turns to Batman and says, "Thanks for the Batcam footage, B." I always track Lobo when he's on Earth. I've seen some things. <laughs> and would that be Brian's quote of the week? <laughs> you know what? Sure. Let's go with that. I've got quote. another good quote, but yeah, that's, I, I do love that one. <laughs> uh, this, this is fantastic. This is just, this is, this is the current big dumb fun. You should absolutely pick this up and read it. I am so looking forward to it. I actually have tomorrow off from theater work. I've got free time in the evening. There you go. I am going to sit down and read some of the still too large stack of comics on my desk. Yeah. And relax. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. All right. Echo Lands, number one. Written by J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman, with art and design by J.H. Williams III, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Todd Klein. Okay, look, if you take one thing away from us here and now, it's this. Just go read this book. Your eyes will thank you later. Yeah, your eyes are going to go, oh, oh, uh, this is beautiful. I want this. And let me tell you something. I had no idea, Alex. But just because I knew it was going to be more landscape-based than portrait, uh-huh. I actually drug it over to my 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 gaming screen to read yeah. this, which is a curved 34-inch monitor. Of course you did. And it, like, filled the whole thing up. Like, it was the per- turns out it was the perfect aspect ratio. And, oh my god, this is gorgeous that's incredible it 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 really was so it is landscape i was so relieved when i got to the shop and i saw that it's bound on the short side and not the long side yeah like it's actually you read it like a book not like a wall calendar yeah right yeah yep and all the times i complain about landscape comics it's the wall calendar binding correct yep um 
this was like they really use that horizontal format well they do um the layouts throughout the book are sometimes they're they're basically what are splash pages or or spreads right Mm -hmm. more often than not there's some form of either two rows of smaller panels almost think like a cartoon strip in a paper right and the negative space around them is scenic art that either recontextualizes what's going on or gives you some for some version of setting or just detail about the world and the moment of those pages or or sometimes it like there's one where it's just kind of a close-up of her eyes right and mm-hmm. her hood yeah it, like it, it it varies that and it's done i think very very well and sometimes you get just a single row and everything around those like really hyper focused moments feels like like the quiet in a gunfight in a western yeah that's a great way of putting it um and then like there's all of this right and then there's like one page that you turn and it's a circle i love it's so startlingly different that like you just immediately is it looks like a spotlight on this thing that's going on yeah it's well it's a one two it's kind of a one two punch because the two pages leading up to it actually like go with these three horizontal panels <laughs> that then turn into these four I'm sorry three vertical panels right that then turn into four horizontal panels and the last quarter of that two page spread is this sort of like bullet hole explosion black and white mm-hmm. moment that like, we haven't seen like a black and white moment up to this point right and it's very like round and sort of jagged and you turn the page and you get that perfect circle with sort of the end page reveal and when you turn the page one last time you get to this almost like crypt keeper-esque host right, yes. or at least this character who feels like they're they're in doing that job of Absolutely. direct address and telling a story and like going from the rough the rough round shape to the perfect circle to seeing the world in the crystal ball mm-hmm. that the uh the metaphysicist is who is this like very traditional like gray martian design right in in like a bandana and a loose sort of caftan uh that this martian is like reading the story from so it feels like you're like zooming out and then you get to the narrator yes it's super cool. I, I I agree. This this is a tour de force in like presentation and layout almost more than anything else. And just the variety in style. Yep. That Williams has in the art is the thing I really love about it, I mean, other than just, I am always a sucker for any sort of art style that really smartly uses what feels like mixed media or collage, where, like, all your different figures or design elements are of different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this old animated film that I rewatched recently with a couple of friends that I had tracked down a DVD copy of. Uh that I remembered watching on Cartoon Network as a kid. And I had, like, just the haziest dreamlike recollections of this movie, uh, in which the lead character is voiced by Lorenzo Music of Garfield fame. And this movie is called Twice Upon a Time. I don't know if this rings any bells for you. 
it sounds for some reason like I think I, I want to see if I looked it up if I would know it because it sounds like it does for some reason. It is of an art style that is like wholly unique in its own. The closest thing I could compare it to would be the sort of cutout interstitials and in flying circus with like the Monty Python foot stomping down. Yeah. Except it's that sort of almost paper craft style mixed with hand-drawn animation in spots and mostly with like when they're when the characters start in the sort of dream world and then they go into a re- the real world. It's mixed with like video footage and photography and all these still backgrounds. The reason this movie exists is because after George Lucas made his millions off of Star Wars in like 1982, he went to this filmmaker who I don't think he was Lucas's mentor. He might have been, but he was just like Lucas's role model. He was like Lucas's favorite filmmaker. Filmmaker. He's who George Lucas looked up to, and he said, "Hey, here's a blank check. Make whatever you want with it." And this was the movie he made. And it's this just weird, absurd, surreal, inexplicable thing that's been cut and recut so many times. It didn't have a script. It had improvisers providing dialogue. There are G-rated cuts and R-rated cuts. It's so strange. Um, But all of that is to say, like, I've got a really soft spot for that kind of mixed media art that goes all the way back to that. And... This book has a quality like that, that it kind of leans into early on. We get this sort of flashback fairy tale version of uh, Hope. Her name is Hope, right? The S stands for Hope. Um, of Hope, and like this flash to Hope's future, and then we see her in this red cloak, running away from something. And she cuts through the city street, and like every figure in the city street is of a different art style. And the thing I love about it is between that and the layout and, like, changes in panel borders and panel borders becoming, like, rough and ragged, you get the sense that the world around them is, like, this this ever-changing patchwork, right? Yeah. And then you you get to an actual plot point where the world around them changes and, like, you can't trust an alleyway for more than a few days to lead the same place. And by the time you get to that moment, it's so endemic to the design of this world that everything is is fleeting and changing and different that it feels more like a payoff than a revelation. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to your original thing and say you just need to pick this up so your eyes can soak it in. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. We can I'm, move on. It, it, it is. It, it's it's wonderful, and you should pick it up and look at it and read it. Yeah. Yeah. St. Mercy number 1. Tell me about this, Brian. Um this is a very interesting story. Um so it's there's there's really two parts to this and it it was kind of sold this way and that is there is uh this young girl who is uh in an Incan in in the Incan society in Peru. Um and she is uh, one of the children that is designated for the rites of sacrifice. Okay. Right? Um, and it talks about how she is like 
it is like the most important thing in her life. She is so happy and so uh like fervent in her belief that that this is like the the greatest thing that has ever happened to her. And it, it it's it's kind of stunning in the idea of how your point of view changes cuz and there's a little bit of talk about this in some text in the back that it talks about how you know, of course, if you look at this through the lens of a modern society, right? Mm-hmm. Sacrifice of children, of course, it's horrible. And, you know, we don't believe in the gods that they believed in and all of this. And, you know, so in that context, yeah, of course, it's awful. And th- this should never have happened, right? But in the context of their society at that time, like, this was a very, very different thing. Yeah. And it's 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 almost disturbing to have to try to think of it that way. I mean, right? I'll be honest. Like, in this very specific historical moment, you said the phrase, like, it's unimaginable to sacrifice children. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, well. <laughs> but also, right now, is it? Is yeah, it? Yeah, no. Yeah, right? Like, how do you contextualize it? And can you make that palatable to society? If you contextualize it the right way, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. obviously, given the production schedule of comics, that's coincidence, not intent. Sure. But also, like, you could make the same point about the guns lobby and the epidemic of school shootings that we've sure. been dealing with for years, decades, depending on how you want to measure it. If you want to measure it honestly, decades. Yeah. But then you have this... Uh, this uh, corollary in Mercy, who is in the wild in the American West, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot very intentionally. There's a lot of similarity between these two characters. Um, they are both very very devout in their religious beliefs, right? And they're both, and, and this is something else that gets talked about in the back. They're both. Although they're young girls who are physically, you know, kind of weak, they are like in their belief, they are, you know, strong and convictions stronger than just about anybody around them. And how can they use that strength to that's kind of what this is going to explore, because it turns out that the gold that from the Incans that were very clearly involved in these in these rites um, has fallen down to this girl, Mercy, and her father to protect because this gold is cursed. And so it's up to their family to guard it and keep it from, you know, keep that curse from being released, I guess, kind of into the world. And, you know, obviously it's a a story, so things are going to happen. But that's kind of what we're introduced into. Cool. Yeah, it, it, it is. And like I said, it's not, the subject matter makes it not necessarily the easiest thing to read from a modern, you know, in a modern setting. Mm-hmm. But I think it's I think it's interesting and worth reading. Cool. Yeah. How about After the Fall number 1? This is something that 100% came on my radar because I was going through and saw the cover of it and I was like, what is this? And like perused it a little bit and I was like, oh my god, this is stunningly gorgeous. You know what? I'm going to pick it up and see what I think of it. And it is very much kind of a, a, a 
I don't want to say traditional, but is a post-apocalyptic style uh, story, right? Where, you know, there are, uh, you know, different clans and, and things. And, you know, one is uh, taking over the others. And, like, there's characters that are trying to protect the, the, the kids from their village. And, you know, they get caught and this kind of thing. And, but I'll be honest, it, it is 100% for me, at least the art that, that pulled me into this. And it is worth getting just to look at it. Yeah, you showed me the cover and the cover was gorgeous. Yeah. I like, it is just, uh, here, I'm going to show you, this is kind of the, I can stop that and make that go away. This is like the final page of some of the people. Oh, very nice. Right. Like, it's just this, like, it's almost like painted, um, I don't know, it, it, I don't know how to describe it, it's beautiful, you should. You know, you know what the style reminds me the most of? What's that? And this is going to be one of the dorkiest things I say on this comic book podcast. <laughs> it kind of looks like the style out of the 5th edition Monster Manual. You know what, I can see that, I can see what you're saying there, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. A little more rendered than painted, maybe? Yeah, that that's uh, almost, yes. Yeah. But that's that's where my brain goes. But uh, this is, so this is written by Laurent Kisset, um, with art by, wow, I'm going to butcher this name. Uh, Jujen? Jujen, yeah. Um, the translation is by Jer Jeremy Malul, and the localization is by Mike Kennedy. Um, this apparently was re released originally in, like, 2017 in France as Après la Chute, um, which I'm assuming is after the fall. <laughs> after Après Chute, as in shoots and ladders, things fall down I, shoots. I would, I'm going to uh, go with imagine, After the Fall, I would, yeah. Yeah, that, I, that's kind of what I went with. Uh, and it's uh, being released here by Magnetic Press. So if you get the chance and you can find this, take a look. Cool. Yeah. I am briefly going to speak on the subject of Avengers Annual Number 1, written by Jed McKay, with art by Travel Foreman, colors by Jim Campbell, and letters by Corey Pettit. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep this one pretty quick and hit highlights. Uh, I had thought, perhaps, that this last Infinity, uh, Infinite Destinies Annual would maybe change the status quo of the Infinity Stones, and Maybe take them out of people and back to stones. It kind of felt like that was where we were going. We know that Black Cat is going to steal the gauntlet. We've seen visions of a future in Thor where Thanos has a Mjolnir bedazzled with Infinity Stones. And I'm 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 surprised and kind of pleased that like no, the stones are still in the people they're in. Uh, we are introduced to a young synthetic person, uh, which is the term. They prefer to AI, uh, named Multitude, who is this, like, really smart, really savvy, almost sort of nervous talker teenage robot. Think, like, at first I wonder, like, wait, is this a, is this somehow a revived Vic, Vic Vision, um, but in blue and orange instead of purple and green, or yellow and, yellow and green? And the answer is no. I don't I don't think it is, but that's about the age and the the sort of build of this character. He ends up being possessed by the Soul Stone, 
And while he's spent his whole sort of existence debating whether or not synthetic people have souls, now he contains millions of souls that were trapped in the soul stone. And they're, like, pushing him to reunite with the other stones and gain their power and, like, fight off this this uh, sort of, like, classic X-Men villains who show up who are also anti-synthetic person. Um, and, like, as soon as he's possessed by by the stone, like, they're all dead. They're all dead. And that's when Steve and Tony show up and they're like, oh, we just got the alert. You've got the soul stone. These folks are dead. You're coming with us. And he's like, I really don't want to. I just want to get this guy who helped me earlier some help. Um, And then ends up like agreeing, like, I will go away if you will just make sure this guy survives. It's It's not so much an ending so much as the end of a prologue. And that's also true of the backup, Infinite, Pure, Infinite Fury Part 8. Uh, which is Jed McKay with art by Juan Ferreira and letters by Joe Caramagna, uh, really sets up Nick Fury Jr. for like an active role in tracking down these Infinity Avatars or whatever we want to call them. There's still not really a term for them. Um, but he is like actively now racing the clock, and by the clock I mean nighthawk to track them down and reunite them and or take them off the board before nighthawk can reunite them and bring back the heroes reborn earth uh-huh so to be continued but this whole thing's been cool was a lot of fun definitely recommend it very cool black widow number 10 the end of the second arc written by kelly thompson with pencils by elena casagrande and rafael de la torre inks by elizabetta de amico and rafael de la torre Colors by Jordi Belair and letters by Corey Pettit. So, yeah, the end of an arc and what I can only pray and hope is the beginning of uh, kind of a team. Yes. I mean, I feel like that's the answer for Natasha going forward. She has to have her found family. Like, there's so much the DNA of this book now. Yes. And, (laughs) you know, if she actually is the leader, we'll see. Only time will tell. Only time will tell. Uh, because we get who, so, right, we know that she's kind of in a couple of issues ago recruited Anya, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have, obviously, her and Yelena arguing, or not even arguing, just sniping back and forth at each other is just so wonderful. Um, And then we have, what is, who is the, who is the new... I can't remember her name now. Uh, Lucy. Lucy. Yes. Is fantastic. And we get our final person called in. I mean, look, if you need help defending the world or at least Northern California, who do you call? (laughs) Especially if you're Black Widow, you call Hawkeye, right? You call the best West Coast Avenger. (laughs) Yeah, you do. K-Bishop, baby! <laughs> Bishop's back! Oh my god, I love it. Uh, and I love Yelena's comment of, I really love Hawkeyes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so good. I want this team, and I want them to do awesome things. It is It is also just wild to me how much, like, I've always been like, okay, cool, like, Yelena, the one real supporting character for Natasha. Fine, whatever. And then post post Florence Pugh, I'm like, Yelena, give me all the Yelena. I need Yelena everywhere. <laughs> Yelena's the best. Yes. I don't know what that she's, voice was. She, she's not a poser. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> so, all this weekend at rehearsal has been choreography. Mm-hmm. And it's it's Heather's the musical. It's set in the 80s. And we're going for, like, a mix of sort of recognizable 80s dance moves for the people who were alive then. But also, like, inspired by and connected with more contemporary sort of hip-hop. Okay. Uh or at least more contemporary dance moves in general. And at one point, the choreography involved like all the actors sort of hopping up and then all kind of at different levels, like dropping down to on a foot with one knee up and the other knee kind of to the side. And they were supposed to have like hands at the side and they were supposed to only go like, like maybe halfway down into a crouch, right? Every last one of them drops down into either the Black Widow poser pose or the Spider-Man pose. I love that. It warmed all my heart. It warmed my nerdy heart. Uh, Two of these kids already have come in wearing comic book t-shirts. One was in a Daredevil shirt today. Another yesterday was in uh... Oh shoot, I forget I forget what it was. But like there are a bunch of nerds, and I know they're nerds. I always knew they were nerds. This is part of why I like working there, is it's a bunch of nerds. I fit right in. Do the, do they know you do this podcast, Alex? Some of them do. Okay. Like I do not introduce myself with hi, I'm Alex, I'm your stage manager, yeah, yeah, yeah. and also I podcast about comics. I understand, but yeah. But like the program director knows about it and like he'll tell people. Okay. Um yeah. All right. It, it comes up sometimes. Gotcha. I just, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if they're doing that and wearing shirt, you know, comic book shirts, then. I mean, I'll say this out loud because you've asked. If you do know me and listen to this, my rule is don't tell me. <laughs> don't tell me. I'm glad you do, and I appreciate you. I don't want to know. I'm like, breaking your five... rule, Alex. I listen to this. Well, <laughs> do you do you actually listen, Brian? You know what? So I I I not. Not to every episode because okay. obviously I know what's in them, <laughs> but um, yeah. but I I do, I do okay you know, probably every third or fourth one, yeah. Um, I listen to edit and that's it. Yeah, oh, that's, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all truth be told, but yeah, like no, jo- all joking aside, like if you know me, don't tell me you listen to it because sometimes I say things and I don't want to think about it. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't want to be like mm, the college kids I work with might hear me say fuck. Mm. <laughs> all good, all good. It's but only Alex, a catering tech week. Alex, you know what? Since you said you wanted some more Yelena, you know what we should talk about next? Winter Guard number one. Yeah. Written by Ryan Cady, art by Jan Basildua, colors by Federico Blay, and letters by Ariana Mar. This is set. I guess at two points in time. It's set in the present, post-World War Hulk. World War Hulk? Is that what it's called? World War She-Hulk. World War She-Hulk. Thank you. But also, Yelena tells a story that is set before the uh, Red Room kidnaps She-Hulk. Yes. So we're, we're kind of split at a couple of points in time. Um... I didn't know or realize how closely tied to World War She-Hulk this was going to be. Yeah, I did not either. 
I actually really dig it for that. Like, I think that's a really smart way to contextualize it. And I, I think it's a good way to set it up. I know this is a four-issue miniseries, mm-hmm. but I would absolutely read more of it. Uh, I would, too. And I think one of the things that they've done that's a little bit smart, right, is they've given us one or two things that, like, are, like, shocking point Because it is kind of this dual timeline thing. Mm-hmm. One or two things that are, like, shocking revelations. That now it's the, well, how the hell did that happen? Right? Yeah. Like like Ursa Major? Well, we know how Ursa Major happened. Right. But my point being that, like, but we get to see in the timeline kind of what led to that, I guess. Right? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because yeah. um, that's literally the event that made me be like, we have two timelines here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, The other thing I really like, and we've seen Red Widow kind of calling shots in Avengers, Mm -hmm. but I feel like seeing this team work as a team sort of on its own and not just in reaction to the Avengers makes them feel a little more, like, defined. Yeah. Even though they're still very much in response to Yelena here. You see that they actually are a team that that, that does things other than just go fight the Avengers, yeah. 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 I also love that uh he's not Captain USSR, Red Guardian. Red Guardian, yes. Still can't get any respect. <laughs> and yet and yet is like one of the most respected heroes of right? Yeah. Yeah. Like like he's he's like the Captain America from World War Two, right? Like everybody remembers him fondly, but they don't actually want to have anything to do with him kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's like the Captain America that right-wingers in 2021 remember from their childhood. <laughs> when they claim he wasn't political, but like, I've got the Nomad action figure that says otherwise. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh-huh. it's a Funko Pop, but close enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I also like that on the on the current day side of this storyline... Everything is grounded in the relationship between Yelena and Natasha. Yes. Like, it feels of a piece with the Black Widow without feeling like someone just trying to copy Kelly Thompson, which seems impossible to me. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that as well. Like, Ryan Katie's written a bunch of stuff lately that I've dug, and Jan Basaldua has drawn a bunch of stuff lately that I have dug. I feel like this is a really solid, creative team with like folks who maybe maybe not everyone who reads would know right away like newer newer creators more up and coming mm-hmm. you know what it, it it just struck me as i was looking through this right now you know who you know what the the kind of the dynamic of the team reminds me a little bit of is the old like original alpha flight group yeah, I can see that. Right? Where like they're got... a little mismatched, they're a little out of their element, but they're trying and bless they're, their hearts. They're not necessarily all getting along with each other and yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point of comparison. Yeah. I I I'm digging it. I mean, you know, and they there's there's a guardian involved in both of them. Huh? Yeah. Uh speaking of slightly dysfunctional team building. And a furry. <laughs> And a furry, yes. <laughs> there you go. 
Uh, cable Reloaded number one. Oh, now this is the one that surprised me. I was not aware that this was going to be related to uh, the Last Annihilation stuff as much as it was. Oh, see, to me, like, I wondered... I was curious how much this was actually going to tie into Krakoa, because I saw it announced as a Last Annihilation uh, okay. tie-in. Okay, there you go. The answer is, ¿Por qué no los dos? <laughs> Written by Al Ewing, with art by Bob Quinn, colors by Israel Silva, letters by Joe Sabino, and designed by Tom Muller. Uh, yeah, so this is very much like, if you read Duggan's Cable and want to know what happens next, this is what happens next. This is what happens next, yeah. Uh, this is Cable basically reporting back for duty to S.W.O.R.D. and answering to Abigail Brand again, and both of them immediately realizing... Oh, wait, no, now we're both the person in the room who's used to calling the shots, and this is not going to be a long-term solution. Yeah, one of us is going to have to figure this out, yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, then we get a kind of mini X-Force reunion. We do, but before we get there, I want to talk about this issue's framing device, the narrative frame for sure, this issue. Sure. Um, because Cable has, you know, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey'd his way through life. He has future knowledge, and while the future is not set in stone, there is one person from our timeline whom he is used to being hailed as an intergalactic hero, spoken with with the kind of reverence and, like, awe that historians might talk about an Alexander the Great. Yeah. And this is, like, his first time working with him, and he knows, like, this is the moment where this character becomes this sort of universally loved hero or at least acknowledged if not loved yeah respected there certainly. you go sure yeah who is that hero brian mr raccoon <laughs> rocket raccoon greatest greatest tactician in in intergalactic history yeah um, it's like I said last week, if Doom and Rocket Raccoon make a plan together, you listen. Yeah. And uh and Cable's job is to execute this. Yeah. Which yep. which he does by initiating um the world's possibly the world's highest plunge attack on <laughs> Yeah. At a scale at which you can't really call it the world's largest plunge attack because <laughs> yeah. it is starting off world. Yeah, exactly. It's like an hour drop. It's uh -huh. not a halo drop, it's a ha-ha drop. It's a ha-ha drop, yes. High altitude, high acceleration. <laughs> and, um, um, yeah, then, uh, you know what, I, it is so, it's, it's so, I keep forgetting that all it takes is one Krakoa seed, mm -hmm. and there's a gate to Krakoa, and anybody can come through it. And so it's like carrying a whole team of mutants in one of your pouches. And <laughs> when you say anyone can come through it, of course, there is, there is always that list of these are mutants we are always happy to see walk through a gate. And one of the top answers on my list walks through this gate. Oh, sure she does. Boom, Three, boom. two, one. <laughs> tick, 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 boom. Yep. And WizKid. WizKid, also a great choice. I love... Both I love seeing Wizkid outside of Sword. Yep. But also the dynamic between Wizkid and Old Man Cable. <laughs> yes. Like, I really like the way Ewing is using 
the fact that it's the same person and these are something that Cable, like, these are people Cable remembers working with, but it's been so long yep. that he doesn't necessarily still sort of have the camaraderie or feel the camaraderie with them. Well, But also thing, because yeah. he's aged, they don't look at him as the same person. Well, and they've aged. Like, look at, look at, that's at Cannonball, right? At yeah. Sam. Um, you know, he's married now with a kid. Right. Yeah. So, um, and then I got to say, I loved, I loved, loved, loved this character when we were introduced and like in the core of the burning heart. Oh God. This character is great. Like I, I the, there is so much potential for great storytelling with this character. Like, I feel like this is the highest compliment cable will ever pay to a person. But at one point he's talking about Cora and he's like, I need to work with her again. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then. So I I brought up the uh, the Krakoan Gate for a reason, because the last person on this team is Lila Cheney, right? Who was like always the go to mutant if you had to transport across interstellar distances. Yeah. Well, with Krakoan Gates, you don't have to do that anymore. Well, maybe you need to transport something that's bigger than a gate. Yeah, I like I love, but I love that she's questioning. She's like, if if you're gonna use the gate, what do you need me for? <laughs> Yeah, it's so good. This, like every everything about this, there was a little bit about this that kind of felt like a little bit of a heist movie setup kind of thing. Yeah, right. Like there's a little bit of that vibe to it. Like um, it's got that very Mission Impossible opening. There's the team building element of it. Yeah, like the will everyone survive to the end and parts as well. Then can I say the idea of Cora? boosting boom boom <laughs> scares the shit out of me going I mean, forward but here's the thing like as much as we both are digging cora yeah cora feels to me like the kind of character whose success on the page mm -hmm. is so much a function of how smart or at least how clever the writer contextualizing her powers is oh sure and i feel like the boom boom example while like in an existential level it's kind of terrifying because boom boom doesn't need bigger bombs you don't want that to be true <laughs> yep. um that's kind of the most obvious use of her power because we get the scene with Wizkid where Wizkid's like right boost me and she says i why why do you need a boost because i could do what i need to do in two minutes but if you boost me i can do it in two seconds and why take the extra time Right. And, and like the and, idea of contextualizing like knowing, a, Yeah, knowing what these people do for, you know, I guess yeah, I say for a living, you know, knowing what these people do. It's the a living. Two seconds and two minutes can be, you know, life or death for these people. But I feel like the easiest way to contextualize this kid's power would be like, okay, well, you make me smarter. You make me build a more clever thing. You let me right. see across space time not you make me faster like, i like that it's that simple yeah but also a different accent i do too um All i also good. like the 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 lila cheney i don't need a boost if i needed to teleport this thing across the block i would need a boost this is just across space i'm good 
Yeah, yeah. The longer the distance, it's kind of the easier it is for me, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, last book, still on Krakoa. Wolverine number 15, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Adam Kubert, colors by Frank Martin, letters by Corey Pettit, and design by Tom Muller. Sever Blackmore is just so much fun. I was going to say, I knew I liked Solemn. I did not think I was going to like Sever Blackmore this much. I just, I'll be honest, mm-hmm. if anyone gets to write a, like, we're going to do the X-Men, but they're the X-Men from Morocco book. I feel like Benjamin Percy is at the top of that list now. I, I think he might be, yeah. Just the idea of if you wanted to create an Iraqi, an Iraqi X-Men team from scratch. And and by the way, you know, it's like, I don't know if it'll be now. I don't know if it'll be five years. I don't know if it'll be 10. At some point, somebody is absolutely going to do that. <laughs> Oh, they have to. Like, yeah. there's too much potential there. Right. I love that both Sever Blackmore and Wolverine now have this history with Solemn. And they both know too much, like, I can't actually trust the other of you to let me do my thing. So, like, now they've got this an- antagonism between them. Yes. Despite, like, otherwise they'd be pretty chill. I, absolutely. Like, they just drink together and, yeah. I, mm, it's all good. It's and all Solemn good. Is- Solemn is outsmarting both of them at every step. <laughs> That's what Solemn does, though, right? While Wolverine was busy yelling at Clark Kent to get off his yard, Solemn <laughs> yanked something from his bedroom. Uh, just fantastic. Yeah, I don't. All I good. don't know that I've got a lot more to I don't like. Either. This is a lot of the history of mm-hmm. Sever Blackmore and Solemn, and which Solemn. is right. so much fun. Like it's it's a really like engaging quick not quick read but like it's a read that you will sort of want to like keep going and just dig through and wish it, there were it will more. feel quick yes yeah yeah uh but yeah like one of my favorite issues of wolverine so far yeah so uh is it still good alex is it still good brian everfrost number three the penultimate chapter of this good <laughs> of this good good book i don't know the penultimate chapter of this book uh sometimes all it takes to change the course of history is to tell a slightly different story. Dark Blood number 2, Brian. Um yeah, it turns out the friendly um the the friendly doc who seems like who is absolutely the nicest person in town um may have ulterior motives even though he is trying to kind of help. Once in future number 19. No matter how much you may wish that you could tell someone about the secret that it is your life's work to protect. The whole world finding out is never, ever, ever what you actually want to know. And all fairies are bastards. Action Comics, number 1034, Brian. Uh, much like John in Son of Kal-El this week, uh, Clark makes a decision to take a stand that may have uh, some pretty nasty consequences. Robin, number five, Brian. Oh, <sighs> The battle begins. Wonder Woman, number 778. Brian. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, how the tables have turned. Hey, hey, Alex. What if I told you know how they're, uh, Wonder Woman is taking a jaunt through all these afterworlds? Yeah. What if I tell you one of the afterworlds that she chases uh, Janice through is the fifth dimension? I tell you that this just moved up in my reading <laughs> Wonder Woman Black and Gold number three. Oh, Ryan. yeah. So, yeah, this is our anthology. So, uh, 
I'm going to, I'm going to do this one a little bit different. Uh, there's, there's only really a couple of these that I want to uh, point out. Um, one is a story called Espionage, uh, which is by Robert Venditti, uh, art by Steve Epting and letters by and world design. Um, and, uh, this one was in, in addition to the artwork being amazing in this, um, it's really cool because most of this is just Wonder Woman sitting in a chair and saying, I'm Wonder Woman. <laughs> um, she gets captured by, you know, a you know, Wonder Woman gets captured, right? She, she lets herself be captured. Obviously we find out yeah. that, um, so she's just sitting in this chair for like two weeks being interrogated and he keeps asking her, her name. And she keeps saying, I'm Wonder Woman. And he's like, no, tell me the truth. <laughs> and she's like, I'm Wonder Woman. And so uh, it turns out that they were waiting for the the general that they didn't know, I have a picture of and know what he looked like to show up. And so once he did, then she breaks loose and, you know, kidnaps him or, you know, uh, captures, I guess is the right word here, him and says, you know, get me out of here. Da, da, da. <laughs> and at the end, the guy's like, oh. You are Wonder Woman. <laughs> it's, just, it's just just kind of a fun little story. And then the the second one that I want to point out is a, a story called The Lasso of Truth, which was written by Amy Garcia, uh, art by Sebastian Fiumara, uh, yeah, Fiumara, Fiumara, and letters by Becca Carey. Um, and Alex caught and and pointed out that uh, this is Amy Garcia from um, Lucifer. Yeah. Yes. Um, and. I think it's really cool that this was one of the ones I wanted to point out. This was, this is a girl who finds Wonder Woman's lasso when she accidentally drops it as she's leaving a scene and uses it to uh, empower herself to uh, make the people around her tell the truth and see her and all of that. And she talks about, you know, how she's felt invisible and not seen and, you know, powerless and all this. And of course, at the end, Wonder Woman shows up and takes her lasso back and tell her that, you know, you know, yeah, the ability to do all that is, is actually within you, not in the, in the lasso. Nice. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a very, very cool little story. I liked it. I liked it. Mom, mother of madness. Number two. Uh, and from another, uh, act, actor, uh, writing comics. Uh, this is Emilia Clark's second one. Uh, you know, second issue of this book and uh, very, very similar uh, continuation of the first. Um, she starts to gain control over her powers with the help of her friends and gets a costume. The Amazing Spider-Man, number 72. Uh, Norman Osborn makes a deal with the devil or made a deal with the devil. Marvel's Voices, Identity, number one. Brian. Yeah, so this is our other anthology uh, book of the week. And um, the ones I want to point out here are, uh, the first one is a story called What, it, what Is Versus What If, which is a Shang-Chi story about, um, uh, he goes to take back this artifact, and the guy's like, as long as you can you know, overcome the artifact, you can take it. And what this artifact does is essentially confront who you are, the decisions that you've made, right, with the what if, which is, for Shang-Chi, is what if he had 
supported his father and basically, you know, the that evil organization and had gone fully into that. And he in, and it manifests that character. And Shang Chi has to actually, you know, fight kind of the evil version of himself. Cool. Yeah, it's a very cool little story. It's it's the Shadow Link fight. It, it is. It is. Uh, and that was that's by Gene uh, Luing Yang and Marcus Toe with colors by Sunny Go. Um, then there is one called, and I gotta, I gotta give me just a second to get to this one. Uh, there's one called Seeing Red, which is um, uh, Ms. Marvel and. Trying to remember the name of this character, Red Dagger. Red and Red Dagger is a Pakistani hero, and Kamala shows up uh, in Pakistan to help him out. And there's a conversation that ensues about, um, a, a kind of about how yes, she is Pakistani, but is is this her home still? Right? Like, is this? Yes, she has ties here and, and history here, but like. And it kind of starts exploring that, you know, what is the difference between somebody who lives in a country and somebody who's from a country and, you know, the, the your your ancestral ties versus how you live your life day to day. And it's just a kind of a cool little, you know, discussion, I guess, about that. Cool. Would be a good way to put it. Um, <laughs> it ends up like, like. She ends up having some kebabs that she's like, oh, my God, no, you're right. These are better than anything, you know, this, that, and the other. And then she gets home, and because her stomach isn't used to the, you know, the local cuisine there, she ends up getting sick off of them, even though she loved them. And it's kind of, you know, kind of a metaphorical thing of, yes, she loves it, and it's part of her, but it's maybe not kind of that whole discussion. Anyway, I thought that was cool. That's why I wanted to bring that one up. Uh, and that is by that was by uh, Sabir uh, Pirzada and Marshall Ahmed with colors by Naraj Menon. Uh, and then Ken Namura writes this super super cute little um, uh, Krakoan story about uh, armor and uh, silver samurai called Pink Sushi, <laughs> <laughs> which is about how um, silver samurai is all upset because armor is making. Um, uh, sushi that like has pink rice because she's having to use ketchup in it and all this stuff. And she's like, well, where did you get the fish for this? He was like, well, I caught it. She was like, yeah. So it's like a blue alien fish. Like <laughs> 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 you can't, <laughs> you, you can't tell. And I'm having to use uh, ketchup because we don't have any, any vinegar to use. And like, so it's talking about how you can honor traditions without being, so strictly bound by them that you can't create your own thing kind of thing. Cool. Right? I, I, I thought that was super neat too. Um, that one was, uh, like I said, that was everything on that one was by Ken Nomura. And then um, <laughs> the last one that I want to mention real quick is I'm not, I'm not even going to go into the story about it, but it's a uh, um, Amadeus Cho and uh, uh, Silk story. Uh, and there is a comment in it at the end that I just, this was actually going to be my quote of the week, but I thought like, this is one of the coolest thoughts that I think I, I read about or was presented to me this week. And Brian's quote of the week. Cool thoughts. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and it's, it's Cindy saying, um, Hey, when we choose to protect people, 
We can't be disappointed when we can't change them to. I feel like there was something else this week that kind of yeah, that's up got to them, not idea. us. And I was like, that's re- yeah, like like you're making the decision for who you are that you're going to help and save people, right? That doesn't mean you get to tell them what how they feel or what they do, even if you think it's wrong. And you know, in some cases, I would say objectively so. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but you know that's that's again that's not up to you. Anyway, I thought that was like a super cool. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right. And finally, Thor number sixteen. You know, Thor should probably listen to Jane Foster more often and not avoid the truth with hot dogs and bad surfer accents. <laughs> okay. This week's books, speaking of bad surfer accents, Ah. Aquaman, 80th anniversary, 100-page, super spectacular. Yeah. Written by Jeff Parker, Michael Morisi, Stephanie Phillips, Sean Aldrich, Marguerite Bennett, Kevin Scott, Dan Waters, Jen Juergens, Chuck Brown, Brandon Thomas, with art by Evan Duckshaner, Paul Pelletier, and Norm Rapman, Pop Mon, Hendry Presetia, Tom Derenick, Chung Lee Wynn, Scott Eaton, and Norm Ratman, Miguel Mendonca, and Danielle Enriquez, Steve Upting, Valentin Delandro, Diego Orlutegi, and Wade Van Graubadger, with colors by Hi-Fi, Tony Avellina, Ulysses Ariola, Nick Filardi, Jordi Belair, Romulo Fajardo Jr., Jeremy Cox, Marissa Louise, Adriano Lucas, and letters by Rob Lay, Josh Lead, Wes Abbott, Travis Lanham, Pat Rousseau, Clayton Cowles, and End World Design. <sighs> So that reminds me completely of those, I think it was in the 80s, there were commercials that had this guy that like... You're talking about Mr. Micro Machines. I am talking about Mr. Micro Machines, yes. (laughs) Yeah. It reminds me, other than the fact that these are names, which makes it infinitely harder to do. I was going to say, like, with a little practice, I could have gotten up to speed, or with just like dialogue i could have gotten up to speed. exactly exactly uh yeah this we all know what this is this is another one of the 100 page super spectaculars it'll be an anthology and it'll be there'll be some fun little stories in it yeah yeah we also have batman fear state alpha uh the one shot written by james tynan the fourth with art by ricardo federici and letters by romulo fiardo jr i don't know who the letterer is because they don't tell us that yeah it's our opening salvo in fear state yeah yep uh we also have a trio of annuals from dc Batman Superman, written by Jean Lin Yang, with art and colors by Francesco Francovilla and letters by Trey Pateri. This wraps up the uh, editor of worlds, director of worlds, archivist of worlds, whatever whatever the storyline's called. Uh, it wraps up the current storyline. We have Harley Quinn from Stephanie Phillips, with art by David LaFuente, Marco Faia, and John Samariva. With colors by Miguel Muerto and letters by And World Design. Um, I believe this is about. And I haven't read this week's Harley Quinn, so this may be a spoiler for it. Um, but I believe this is about like the rest of her team coming back to save her from Hugo Strange after uh, her trying to save them. All right, and then Midnighter. Written by Michael W. Conrad and Becky Clunan, with art by Michael Evanoming and colors by Takisoma. This wraps up the Midnighter miniseries that's run in Action Comics and goes 
all the way back to Future State. Yeah, I read the I read the the backup in Action Comics this week, and at the end, it's like to be concluded in the Midnighter Annual. I was like, damn it, I have to wait for an annual, and then I looked and saw, oh wait, it's next week. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Over at Marvel. We have Dark Ages number one, the long-simmering Tom Taylor event, with art by Iban Coelho and colors by Brian Raber. You may remember back at Free Comic Book Day 2020, uh, there was a Dark Ages one-shot uh, that teased all the power going out and Iron Man plummeting to his death. That's really all I know, and really all I think anyone kind of knows about this book, except that... There is definitely a uh, cover that has either Annie May or Mayday Parker on it. No one's really totally sure which yet. Yes. Yes. The third installment of our favorite miniseries of one-shots currently coming out. Speaking of Demon Days, Cursed Web number one. Story and art by Peach Momoko, with English adaptation and dialogue by Zach Davison, and letters by Ariana Marr. Do you remember which uh, character we get the the uh, Demon Days version of in this issue? I mean, there were a few that were kind of teased at the end of the last Yeah, there were Sabretooth, right? And Mystique. And Mystique. Um... But the one, the one who maybe most prominently seems to be featured in this is Ghost Spider. Right, yes. Oh, oh. I, I could, I, I mean, I could just, I could just look at Peach Momoko's art all day. But Me yeah. too. Oh, oh, so good. I, yeah, I want it. And finally, <laughs> one of our last Annihilation one-shots, Wicked and Hulkling, written by Anthony Oliveira, who I believe co-wrote the Empire tie-in uh, with Chip Starsky for these same two characters, with art by Jan Basildua of Winterguard, which we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by Ariana Marr. Uh, I, I enjoy these two space, space magician and warrior king and consort duo. They're fantastic. They're always so much fun. Yeah. Of course, I want more. I, that, and I didn't. I, I didn't realize I'm like already reading half of Last Annihilation, just in the books that I already get, pretty much. You're basically reading all of it except the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. So issues. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm just gonna have to go pick up those Guardians of the Galaxy, even if it's just the ones for this, because I just need to yeah. read this. Whole thing. <laughs> I think you are literally reading everything <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I the main story. <laughs> pretty much. You know, and well, uh, it happens. Such it, it does. It it does. Weirdly enough, you know what? I, you know what I should do this week, Alex. I should go read these comics. Is what I should do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as always, we would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. Panelology is a member of the Certain POV Network. If you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture, go to certainpov.com. You can visit us at panelologypodcast.com, support us at patreon.com slash panelology, get merch at bit.ly slash panelologymerch, capital P, capital M, or send us questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash panelologymailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I'm Brian. And just like the two of us still need to do this week, go read comics. Mm -hmm.
CPOV. CertainPOV.com.